Chapter 18 of The Revolt of the Angels. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Revolt of the Angels by Anatole France. Translated by Mrs. Wilfred Jackson. Chapter 18 Wherein is begun the gardener's story, in the course of which we shall see the destiny of the world unfolded in a discourse as broad and magnificent in its views as Bousset's discourse on the history of the universe is narrow and dismal. The gardener bade Arcady and Zita sit down in an arbor walled with bryony at the far end of the orchard. Arcady, said the beautiful archangel, Nectaire will perhaps reveal to you today the things you are burning to know. Ask him to speak. Arcady did so, and old Nectaire, laying down his pipe, began as follows. I knew him. He was the most beautiful of all the seraphim. He shone with intelligence and daring. His great heart was big with all the virtues born of pride, frankness, courage, constancy in trial, indomitable hope. Long, long ago, ere time was, in the boreal sky where gleam the seven magnetic stars, he dwelt in a palace of diamond and gold, where the air was ever tremulous with the beating of wings and with songs of triumph. Ieve, on his mountain, was jealous of Lucifer. You both know it. Angels like unto men feel love and hatred quicken within them. Capable, at times, of generous resolves, they too often follow their own interests and yield to fear. Then, as now, they showed themselves, for the most part, incapable of lofty thoughts, and in the fear of the Lord lay their sole virtue. Lucifer, who held vile things in proud disdain, despised this rabble of commonplace spirits forever wallowing in a life of feasts and pleasure. But to those who were possessed of a daring spirit, a restless soul, to those fired with a wild love of liberty, he proffered friendship, which was returned with adoration. These latter deserted in a mass the mountain of God, and yielded to the seraph the homage which that other would fain have kept for himself alone. I ranked among the dominations, and my name, Alassiel, was not unknown to fame. To satisfy my mind, that was ever tormented with an insatiable thirst for knowledge and understanding, I observed the nature of things, I studied the properties of minerals, air, and water. I sought out the laws which govern nature, solid or ethereal, and after much pondering, I perceived that the universe had not been formed as its pretended creator would have us believe. I knew that all that exists exists of itself and not by the caprice of Ieve, that the world is itself its own creator and the spirit its own god. Henceforth I despised Ieve for his imposture, and I hated him because he showed himself to be opposed to all that I found desirable and good liberty, curiosity, doubt. These feelings drew me towards the seraph. I admired him. I loved him. I dwelt in his light. 
when at length it appeared that a choice had to be made between him and that other i ranged myself on the side of lucifer and knew no other aim than to serve him no other desire than to share his lot war having become inevitable he prepared for it with indefatigable vigilance and all the resourcefulness of a far-seeing mind making the thrones and dominations into calibs and cyclops he drew forth iron from the mountains bordering his domain iron which he valued more than gold and forged weapons in the caverns of heaven then in the desert plain of the north he assembled myriads of spirits armed them taught them and drilled them although prepared in secret the enterprise was too vast for his adversary not to be soon aware of it it might in truth be said that he had always foreseen and dreaded it for he had made a citadel of his abode and a warlike host of his angels and he gave himself the name of the god of hosts he made ready his thunderbolts more than half of the children of heaven remained faithful to him thronging round him he beheld obedient souls and patient hearts the archangel michael who knew not fear took command of these docile troops lucifer as soon as he saw that his army could gain no more in numbers or in warlike skill moved it swiftly against the foe and promising his angels riches and glory marched at their head toward the mountain upon whose summit stands the throne of the universe for three days our host swept onward over the ethereal plains above our heads streamed the black standards of revolt and now behold the mountain of god shone rosy on the orient sky and our chief scanned with his eyes the glittering ramparts beneath the sapphire walls the foe was drawn up in battle array and while we marched clad in our iron and bronze they shone resplendent in gold and precious stones their gonfalons of red and blue floated in the breeze and lightning flashed from the points of their lances in a little while the armies were only sundered one from the other by a narrow strip of level and deserted ground and at this sight even the bravest shuddered as they thought that there in bloody conflict their fate would soon be sealed angels as you know never die but when bronze and iron diamond point or flaming sword tear their ethereal substance the pain they feel is more acute than men may suffer for their flesh is more exquisitely delicate and should some essential organ be destroyed they fall inert and slowly decomposing are resolved into clouds and during long eons float insensible in the cold ether and when at length they resume spirit and form they fail to recover full memory of their past life therefore it is but natural that angels shrink from suffering and the bravest among them is troubled at the thought of being reft of light and sweet remembrance were it otherwise the angelic race would know neither the delight of battle nor the glory of sacrifice those who before the beginning of time 
fought in the empyrean for or against the god of armies would have taken part without honor in mock battles and it would not now become me to say to you my children with rightful pride lo i was there lucifer gave the signal for the onset and led the assault we fell upon the enemy thinking to destroy him then and there and carry the sacred citadel at the first onslaught the soldiers of the jealous god less fiery but no whit less firm than ours remained immovable the archangel michael commanded them with the calmness and resolution of a mighty spirit thrice we strove to break through their lines thrice they opposed to our ironclad breast the flaming points of their lances swift to pierce the stoutest cuirass in millions the glorious bodies fell at length our right wing pierced the enemy's left and we beheld the principalities the powers the virtues the dominations and the thrones turn and flee in full career while the angels of the third choir flying distractedly above them covered them with a snow of feathers mingled with a rain of blood we sped in pursuit of them amid the debris of chariots and broken weapons and we spurred their nimble flight suddenly a storm of cries amazed us it grew louder and nearer with desperate shrieks and triumphal clamor the right wing of the enemy the giant archangels of the most high had flung themselves upon our left flank and broken it thus we were forced to abandon the pursuit of the fugitives and hasten to the rescue of our own shattered troops our prince flew to rally them and re-establish the conflict but the left wing of the enemy whose ruin he had not quite consummated no longer pressed by lance or arrow regained courage returned and faced us yet again night fell upon the dubious field while under the shelter of darkness in the still silent air stirred ever and anon by the moans of the wounded his forces were resting from their toils lucifer began to make ready for the next day's battle before dawn the trumpet sounded the reveille our warriors surprised the enemy at the hour of prayer put them to rout and long and fierce was the carnage that ensued when all had either fallen or fled the archangel michael none with him save a few companions with four wings of flame still resisted the onslaughts of a countless host they fell back ceaselessly opposing their breasts to us and michael still displayed an impassable countenance the sun had run a third of its course when we commenced to scale the mountain of god an arduous ascent it was sweat ran from our brows a dazzling light blinded us weighed down with steel our feathery wings could not sustain us but hope gave us wings that bore us up the beautiful seraph pointing with glittering hand mounting ever higher and higher showed us the way all day long we slowly clomb the lofty heights which at evening were robed in azure rose and violet the starry host appearing in the sky 
seemed as the reflection of our own arms. Infinite silence reigned above us. We went on, intoxicated with hope. All at once, from the darkened sky, lightning darted forth, the thunder muttered, and from the cloudy mountaintop fell fire from heaven. Our helmets, our breastplates, were running with flames, and our bucklers broke under bolts sped by invisible hands. Lucifer, in the storm of fire, retained his haughty mien. In vain the lightning smote him. Mightier than ever he stood erect, and still defied the foe. At length the thunder, making the mountain totter, flung us down pell-mell, huge fragments of sapphire and ruby crashing down with us as we fell, and we rolled inert, swooning, for a period whose duration none could measure. I awoke in a darkness filled with lamentations, and when my eyes had grown accustomed to the dense shadows, I saw round me my companion in arms, scattered in thousands on the sulphurous ground, lit by fitful gleams of livid light. My eyes perceived but fields of lava, smoking craters, and poisonous swamps. Mountains of ice and shadowy seas shut in the horizon. A brazen sky hung heavy on our brows, and the horror of the place was such that we wept as we sat, crouched elbow on knee, our cheeks resting on our clenched hands. But soon, raising my eyes, I beheld the seraph standing before me like a tower. Over his pristine splendor sorrow had cast its mantle of somber majesty. "'Comrades,' said he, "'we must be happy and rejoice, for behold we are delivered from celestial servitude. Here we are free, and it were better to be free in hell than serve in heaven. We are not conquered, since the will to conquer is still ours. We have caused the throne of the jealous God to totter, by our hands it shall fall. Arise, therefore, and be of good heart. Thereupon, at his command, we piled mountain upon mountain, and on the topmost peak we reared engines which flung molten rocks against the divine habitations. The celestial host was taken unaware, and from the abodes of glory there issued groans and cries of terror and even then we thought to re-enter in triumph on our high estate. But the mountain of God was wreathed with lightnings, and thunderbolts falling on our fortress crushed it to dust. After this fresh disaster the seraph remained a while in meditation, his head buried in his hands. At length he raised his darkened visage. Now he was Satan, greater than Lucifer. Steadfast and loyal, the angels thronged about him. "'Friends,' he said, "'if victory is denied us now, it is because we are neither worthy nor capable of victory. Let us determine wherein we have failed. Nature shall not be ruled. The scepter of the universe shall not be grasped. Godhead shall not be won, save by knowledge alone. We must conquer the thunder.' To that task we must apply ourselves unwearingly. It is not blind courage, no one this day has shown more courage than have you, 
which will win us the courts of heaven, but rather study and reflection. In these silent realms where we have fallen, let us meditate, seeking the hidden causes of things. Let us observe the course of nature. Let us pursue her with compelling ardor and all-conquering desire. Let us strive to penetrate her infinite grandeur, her infinite minuteness. Let us seek to know when she is barren and when she brings forth fruit, how she makes cold and heat, joy and sorrow, life and death, how she assembles and disperses her elements, how she produces both the light air we breathe and the rocks of diamond and sapphire whence we have been precipitated, the divine fire wherewith we have been scarred, and the soaring thought which stirs our minds. Torn with dire wounds, scorched by flame and by ice, let us render thanks to fate which has sedulously opened our eyes, and let us rejoice at our lot. It is through pain that, suffering a first experience of nature, we have been roused to know her and to subdue her. When she obeys us, we shall be as gods. But even though she hide her mysteries forever from us, deny us arms and keep the secret of the thunder, we still must needs congratulate ourselves on having known pain. For pain has revealed to us new feelings, more precious and more sweet than those experienced in eternal bliss, and inspired us with love and pity unknown to heaven. These words of the seraph changed our hearts and opened up fresh hope to us. Our hearts were filled with a great longing for knowledge and love. Meanwhile, the earth was coming into being. Its immense and nebulous orb took on hourly more shape and more certainty of outline. The waters which fed the seaweed, the madrepores and shellfish, and bore the light flotilla of the nautilus upon their bosom, no longer covered in its entirety. They began to sink into beds, and already continents appeared, where, on the warm slime, amphibious monsters crawled. Then the mountains were overspread with forests, and diverse races of animals commenced to feed on the grass, the moss, the berries on the trees, and on the acorns. Then there took possession of cavernous shelters under the rocks, a being who was cunning to wound with a sharpened stone the savage beasts, and by his ruses to overcome the ancient denizens of forest, plain, and mountain. Man entered painfully on his kingdom. He was defenseless and naked. His scanty hair afforded him but little protection from the cold. His hands ended in nails too frail to do battle with the claws of wild beasts, but the position of his thumb, in opposition to the rest of his fingers, allowed him easily to grasp the most diverse objects and endowed him with a skill in default of strength. Without differing essentially from the rest of the animals, he was more capable than any others of observing and comparing. As he drew from his throat various sounds, it occurred to him to designate by a particular inflection of the voice whatever impinged upon his mind, and by this sequence of different sounds he was enabled to fix and communicate his ideas. 
his miserable lot and his painstaking spirit aroused the sympathy of the vanquished angels who discerned in him an audacity equaling their own and the germ of the pride that was at once their glory and their bane they came in large numbers to be near him to dwell on this young earth whither their wings wafted them in effortless flight and they took pleasure in sharpening his talents and fostering his genius they taught him to clothe himself in the skins of wild beasts to roll stones before the mouths of caves to keep out the tigers and bears they taught him how to make the flame burst forth by twirling a stick among the dried leaves and to foster the sacred fire upon the hearth inspired by the ingenious spirits he dared to cross the rivers in the hollowed trunks of cleft trees he invented the wheel the grinding mill and the plough the share tore up the earth and the wound brought forth fruit and the grain offered to him who ground it divine nourishment he molded vessels in clay and out of the flint he fashioned various tools in fine taking up our abode among mankind we consoled them and taught them we were not always visible to them but of an evening at the turn of the road we would appear to them under forms often strange and weird at times dignified and charming and we adopted at will the appearance of a monster of the woods and waters of a venerable old man of a beautiful child or of a woman with broad hips sometimes we would mock them in our songs or test their intelligence by some cunning prank there were certain of us of a rather turbulent humor who loved to tease their women and children but though lowly folk they were our brothers and we were never loath to come to their aid through our care their intelligence developed sufficiently to attain to mistaken ideas and to acquire erroneous notions of the relations of cause and effect as they supposed that some magic bond existed between the reality and its counterfeit presentment they covered the walls of their caves with figures of animals and carved in ivory images of the reindeer and the mammoth in order to secure as prey the creatures they represented centuries passed by with infinite slowness while their genius was coming to birth we sent them happy thoughts in dreams inspired them to tame the horse to castrate the bull to teach the dog to guard the sheep they created the family and the tribe it came to pass one day that one of their wandering tribes was assailed by ferocious hunters forthwith the young men of the tribe formed an enclosed ring with their chariots and in it they shut their women children old people and treasures and from the platform of their chariots they hurled murderous stones at their assailants thus was formed the first city born in misery and condemned to do murder by the law of Iove, man put his whole heart into doing battle and to war he was indebted for his noblest virtues he hallowed with his blood that sacred love of country which should if man fulfills his destiny to the very end enfold the whole earth in peace one of us daedalus 
brought him the axe, the plumb line, and the sail. Thus we rendered the existence of mortals less hard and difficult. By the shores of the lakes they built dwellings of osier, where they might enjoy a meditative quiet unknown to the other inhabitants of the earth. And when they had learned to appease their hunger without too painful efforts, we breathed into their hearts the love of beauty. They raised up pyramids, obelisks, towers, colossal statues which smiled stiff and uncouth, and genetic symbols. Having learnt to know us, or trying at least to divine what manner of beings we were, they felt both friendship and fear for us. The wisest among them watched us with sacred awe and pondered our teaching. In their gratitude, the people of Greece and of Asia consecrated us to stones, trees, shadowy woods, offered us victims, and sang us hymns. In fact, we became gods in their sight, and they called us Horus, Isis, Astarte, Zeus, Sibylle, Demeter, and Triptolemus. Satan was worshipped under the names of Evan, Dionysus, Aeacus, and Linnaeus. He showed in his various manifestations all the strength and beauty which it is given to mortals to conceive. His eyes had the sweetness of the wood violet. His lips were brilliant with the ruby red of the pomegranate. A down finer than the velvet of the peach covered his cheeks and his chin. His fair hair, wound like a diadem and knotted loosely on the crown of his head, was encircled with ivy. He charmed the wild beasts, and penetrating into the deep forests, drew to him all wild spirits, everything that climbed in trees and peered through the branches, with wild and timid gaze. On all these creatures, fierce and fearful, that lived on bitter berries and beneath whose hairy breasts a wild heartbeat, half-human creatures of the woods, on all he bestowed loving kindness and grace, and they followed him drunk with joy and beauty. He planted the vine and showed mortals how to crush the grapes underfoot to make the wine flow. Magnificent and benign, he fared across the world, a long procession following in his train. To bear him company, I took the form of a satyr. From my brow sprang two budding horns. My nose was flat, and my ears were pointed. Glands, like those of the goat, hung on my neck. A goat's tail moved with my moving loins, and my hairy legs ended in a black cloven hoof which beat the ground in cadence. Dionysus fared on his triumphal march over the world. In his company I passed through Lydia, the Phrygian fields, the scorching plains of Persia, Medea bristling with hoar-frost, Arabia Felix, and rich Asia where flourishing cities were laved by the waves of the sea. He proceeded on a car drawn by lions and lynxes, to the sound of flutes, cymbals, and drums, invented for his mysteries. Bacchants, Thyades, and Maenads, 
girt with the dappled fawn skin, waved the thyrsus encircled with ivy. He bore in his train the satyrs, whose joyous troop I led, Silene, pans, and centaurs. Under his feet flowers and fruit sprang to life, and striking the rocks with his wand, he made limpid streams gush forth. In the month of the vintage he visited Greece, and the villagers ran forth to meet him, stained with the green and ruddy juices of the plants. They wore masks of wood or bark or leaves. In their hands they bore earthen cups and danced wanton dances. Their womenfolk, imitating the companions of the god, their heads wreathed with green smilax, fastened round their supple loins skins of fawn or goat. The virgins twined about their throats garlands of fig leaves. They kneaded cakes of flour, and bore the phallus in the mystic basket. And the vine-dressers, all daubed with lees of wine, standing up in their wains and bandying mockery or abuse with the passers-by, invented tragedy. Truly, it was not in dreaming beside a fountain, but by dint of strenuous toil that Dionysus taught them to grow plants and to make them bring forth succulent fruits. And while he pondered the art of transforming the rough woodlanders into a race that should love music and submit to just laws, more than once over his brow, burning with the fire of enthusiasm, did melancholy and gloomy fever pass. But his profound knowledge and his friendship for mankind enabled him to triumph over every obstacle. Oh, days divine! Beautiful dawn of life! We led the bacchanals on the leafy summits of the mountains and on the yellow shores of the seas. The naiads and the oreads mingled with us at our play. Aphrodite, at our coming, rose from the foam of the sea to smile upon us. End of chapter 18